Thank you for listening to the South Bay Bible Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered family, and we want you to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. So stay tuned for this week's message.
and love one another in kindness. So it's not up to, it's not on us to love ourselves, it's on us to receive love. I think that's so liberating, but also very scary, because you can't control that. You can't buy that, right? But today we're not going to talk about loving ourselves. We're not going to really talk about loving our family or one another. We're going to talk about loving our neighbors. So what does it look like to be a church that loves our neighbors? Let's go to God in prayer before we go into our text this morning. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you again for this space, for this time where we could gather together. Your children, thank you for the love and the friendships that exist here. And God, right now, I pray that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, filling us, God, with encouragement, filling us and convicting our hearts and shaping us to be more and more like you. God, we want to reflect our Creator. We want to reflect our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, this time is yours. We surrender it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. When I hit, hit the next the slide again. Um, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Hopefully this is a familiar passage to, to most of you here who've gone to church for a number of years. Uh, but we're in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read it for us here. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? So this is the beginning of the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is how it begins. Um, and I think this is very, very relevant to us, not just the parable of the Good Samaritan, but even thinking about the setting of how Jesus starts to tell this story of the Good Samaritan. We find that it starts with a challenge. It starts with a debate. It starts with people wanting to prove themselves right. Um, and we see this a lot, don't we? We're kind of living and swimming in it day to day. I don't know about you guys, um, but uh, if you're on cable news, if you're on social media, or even if you're uh, watching sports, there's all these sports debate shows now. You know why these, all the shows are people arguing with one another? It's because people like to watch people argue with one another. It generates views, it generates clicks. And so we are swimming in a society where people go up and challenge one another. We like to debate, we like to prove each other wrong. And what we see here in the text is that this is what's happening. Jesus is teaching, and then an expert in the law, a teacher of the law, a religious leader. The law is, is not just like the penal code of the Jewish people, but the Torah. It's the, it's the scripture, the holy scripture, the expert in the scriptures comes to challenge this up-and-coming rabbi, Jesus. What do you know? <laughs> what do you know? I'm the expert here. What do you know? What, what do you... What do you think about this question? What, how do I inherit eternal life? What do I think? I think he's, he's a pretty good expert, right? He says the right thing. Jesus even says, you've answered correctly. I wish Jesus would tell me that sometime. I'd be like, Jesus, what do I do? Am I doing the right thing? I don't hear this phrase exactly, but 
He was so, so right in his answer that even Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Um, but if we break it down, I mean, just thinking about it, who wants to really argue with Jesus, right? Not going to end well for them. <laughs> um, but if we break it down, Jesus is saying, do this. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. The, the follow-up question and who is my neighbor is really a clarifying question, right? But we see here, it's not just a clarifying question. Um, the, the teacher of the law, the expert of the law, he's not just asking a, a genuine clarifying question and this out of a desire to want to know more, out of a desire to want to practice it. We see that it's not just like a student asking their professor or like a child asking their parent. We see that this is a challenge that this is a continuation of that initial initial debate. Um, and really, that's about it's about pride and wanting to prove Jesus wrong and prove himself right, justified, to be right. So even before we get into the, the actual meat, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I was, I was thinking about this guy, this teacher of the law. I'm like, man, if I had someone troll me, like come up to in our church and be like, what do you know? like prod me and try to challenge I'd be like I don't have time for you I, I have kids <laughs> I'm busy I have other people that actually I get along with that I want to talk to but what does Jesus do he engages and he teaches it's really crazy to me and this this shows me that that Jesus and God they the, God does not shy away from our challenge from our questioning, whether they come from a pure motive of, of wanting to implement and, and live out the teachings of Jesus, or perhaps from an impure motive. Like, God, what do you know? What's happening around me? Why, why are all these terrible things happening? Why am I seeing all of this destruction and pain? And I come from an impure place, or a place of doubt or challenge. But what do I see here? Jesus engages this teacher of the law that so clearly wants to challenge him and prove himself right. And I think that is really powerful for us today. If perhaps you find yourself in this situation where you're, you might be in that same vein of, I'm, I feel like I, I just, I need an answer from you, God. I, I, don't, I don't agree with what you're doing here or what the scripture says or whatever the church is doing. That's okay. You know, God's big enough to, take on your questions, to take on your challenge. Um, perhaps you might have a family member or a friend who's very abrasive, who might be very uh, Enneagram type 8, very very tough to, to get along with because they just always want to keep the argument going. Like, when will you stop arguing? You know, some of you are whispering to each other. <laughs> um, Jesus loves that person enough. That, I think this is really powerful for us. So let's get into the actual parable. We'll go through this real quickly. The actual parable here. Oh, who is my neighbor? Forgot about this point. Who is my neighbor? Um, that's the question that the expert asks, right? And what is he actually asking here when he says, who is my neighbor? He's asking, who is worthy of my love? Who deserves my love? Right? If I'm supposed to love these people, I want to know who these people are and whether they're deserving of my love. Actually, if you read some Hebrew non, um, 
scriptures. There's extra biblical Hebrew wisdom scriptures. <laughs> it's kind of a lot of stuff there. Um, but there's one passage that says, do not do good to those who will not repay you. Right? And so there's these, all these teachings in, in the Hebrew law, which this guy's an expert, that define what a neighbor is, that also define how to love someone. And so what he's trying to do is figure out where Jesus stands. What does he think about all of these teachings? In a way, he's saying, who, who do I love? Who is worthy and deserving to receive the love that I want to give? And so Jesus tells this famous story. Let's keep going. In reply, Jesus says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So that's the, that's the setting of this parable. And even then, I was like, man, this is such a familiar story. But also something about reading this setting in our current context here in the Bay, it brought me to even current events that I see all the time on the news and social media, especially for, for elderly and for Asian American and Asian people here in the Bay. It doesn't seem to be as safe as it was maybe five, 10 years ago. You walk down Oakland, Chinatown, it's like better uh, carry some pepper spray. Uh, maybe walk in your group, maybe park in the garage, don't go at night. These are all thoughts now that happen in my head when, I, when Liz is craving dim sum or something. I'm like, if you're gonna go to Oakland, Chinatown, let's, okay, let's get mentally prepared to go and go into this. I don't, are you guys in that same vein? Is it just me? No? Okay, just me. We're the only ones who like dim sum in this room, I guess. <laughs> the best one, Oakland, Chinatown. You guys don't know? You know, you know, okay. You get so many bolo bows there. They're like, like one dollar will get you three little bolo bows. And I'll get back, Liz will come back, like bags of bows. <laughs> I'll be like double park right in the middle of the street, like, okay, hurry up, Liz, come back with bags of bows. Uh, and then doesn't make its way home because it just eat it all. <laughs> but the uh, yeah, I was I was reading this and it never struck me that this could happen to any of us today. That's where I'm getting at with this. Like to me, this this parable because it's so familiar, so ancient, so biblical. Jesus is one of his top five stories of all time. Whatever you want to call. The um, I was like, okay, why do I feel a connection to this man right now? Maybe because we, we kind of feel that sense of danger, that sense of anxiety going out. Um, I mean, it, it made this text come a little bit closer to home, hit a little closer to home for me when I was studying it. And I think that also, you know, it, it, is, it is kind of sad, but it does make it easier to get ourselves into the text this morning, doesn't it? We find ourselves all the time thinking about anxious thoughts, thinking of, what could go wrong? Who's going to be attacked? Am I going to do wrong next? Is my car going to get broken into next? This is apparently one of those places, like downtown Oakland, Chinatown, where it was known. Jesus is taking this is a known road from Jerusalem to Jericho, with lots of little like uh, caves for robbers to hide in. Um, people knew that this was a dangerous route to take, and so Jesus is saying like, when you there's a guy going down this dangerous, well-known path. He got robbed. They're like, ah, yeah, we know. We know someone. Our cousin just got robbed the other way. Um, so the, it's, it's relevant. And, and I think that's a little bit sad 
but it allows us to read ourselves into the story a little bit as well. So, so let's keep going. Verse, I deleted the verse, but it's 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. This is the famous story that we all know. This is the famous story of the Good Samaritan. And so for those of us who are unfamiliar with the story, I'll teach very quickly. Um, Jesus' opponent, the expert in the law, he was Jewish. And the people around him were probably all Jewish as well. His audience was Jewish, and so the man in the parable who was attacked, left for dead, eaten on the side of the road, the audience probably just assumes this man is also Jewish, like one of them, right? And so therefore, when Jesus says, oh, a priest happened <laughs> to be walking down, and a Levite came down, these are the most holy people in the Jewish culture, the most pious, the most righteous, the most religious, the most holy. They're expected to go and do the right. And perhaps, according to their interpretation of the law, doing the right thing might have been to not touch a dead body. <laughs> if they thought this guy was dead, to touch a dead body would make them unclean, impure, ritually impure. And so by being holy, being righteous, by following the letter of the law, they left this man for dead and passed by on the other side. That's one way to read this text. I think there's an even simpler way to read and that's just because you were born religious, because you know the right thing to do, does not mean that you will do the right thing in the time comes. And we all know that feeling, don't we? Not to put a guilt trip on you guys. I really don't want to do that this morning. But that's the message of this story, right? That the people that have been given the right mantle, the right teaching to do what is right, some, most of the time, that's what's crazy about this story. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came where that man was lying, left for dead, and when he saw him, took pity on him. Samaritans are Jewish people. They hated each other. Samaritans were the half-breed. When um, Israel was conquered by Assyria, um, Samaritans were intermarried and became half Assyrian, half Jewish. And because of that ethnic and cultural divide, they became bitter enemies of the Jewish people. And so, one of the insults that Jewish people would call one another is, you guessed it, Samaritan. Uh, there's one time where an opponent of Jesus says, why are you behaving like a Samaritan and demon-possessed? So this is, the, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, this dangerous road that you all know, this man was left for dead, these holy people were doing what probably they thought was right and leaving this man left for dead. But here comes a demon demon-possessed enemy of, of the Jewish people coming, he took pity on this one. Let's keep going. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is um, this is the Good Samaritan. This is the story. Jesus wins the argument here. We see that this Samaritan goes beyond what he was expected to do. Right? And uh, pouring, 
changing his wounds for him on oil, oil and wine, he's not just like going to eat him. <laughs> it's not it's not to season him or anything. Uh, this is medicine. It's it's the ancient medicine. So oil and wine. It's it's to 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 treat the wounds. Okay. So bandage oil and wine. Put the man on his own donkey because the guy couldn't walk. So take my donkey. He can walk. Brought him to an inn. Took care of him the next day. He paid for his stay. Paid for his stay. I think um, just from here, we know this, guys. We know this, don't we? There's no way. There's no arguing from this. Jesus wins the argument with this parable. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Really, this is it. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor. Uh, there's, there's no debate. The Good Samaritan crosses that cultural hatred and divide to show care for someone in need, number one, right? Number two, he uses his own, uh, he, he uses his own talent to, to treat a wound, uh, to care for the actual bleeding that's taking place, but he also takes them a step further to make sure that they'll be on the mend, right? Paying for them. I think there's, there's, no, there's no need to complicate this any further. This is what it looks like to love our neighbors. Keep going here. So Jesus asks, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? I love Jesus' like pride right here. Like, which, come on, which of these three? The people that passed by on the other side or the ones that went the extra mile, crossing all these boundaries, crossing all these walls and barriers, giving of themselves, sacrificing their own time and effort, getting into the mess of this, this man left for dead. Who, who actually showed love? Who was a neighbor? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus totally wins the argument, right? He wins the argument. There's nothing, no, you <laughs> can't say anything to it. Um, uh, the one who had mercy on him. Some scholars say, some scholars say the expert didn't want to utter the word Samaritan because <laughs> it was like a derogatory word. And so he couldn't even say, admit that it was the Samaritan that did the good deed. He said, no, it's the one, that other one who had mercy. And so the original question that the teacher asked Jesus was what? Who is my neighbor? Jesus doesn't answer that question. Right? He doesn't answer that question, but instead he proves him wrong by saying, who was a neighbor? Who acts like a neighbor? That's the neighbor. Are you going to be a neighbor? That's what Jesus is saying. And this story is so clear and so inspirational. Um, I really didn't want to overcomplicate it. In many ways, I just want to let you bask in this story. Just thinking about the Good Samaritan and what, he, what this story represents. Because this story, this parable, has inspired so many people across generations, across continents, to do good works for the kingdom. Some of you might have even had children in hospitals named Good Samaritan. It's not a coincidence that Good Samaritan is the name of a hospital, a place where it cares for wounded people. This story is so clear, so inspirational. I don't want to overcomplicate it. Let's keep going here. In brief summary, who is my neighbor is the question, right? Jesus was challenged by this expert in the law. That's okay. Look at what came out of this challenge. One of the best stories that Jesus ever told. God welcomes our questions today. The 
if you have doubts, if you have questions, if the communion cup's like not opening correctly, don't hide it, guys. Let it out and let God address those questions, address those doubts. Next, attacked by robbers. I was struck. These are just my personal reflections on the text right now. Attacked by robbers. The reality, even today in the Bay, is our world is hurting. Right? And we can find ourselves oftentimes in a place of anxiety, in a place of need, maybe feeling like that man left for dead. I never felt like that before until now. I always thought, oh, I have to just be the Good Samaritan. That's the story. But now, getting older, seeing more of life, you see the brokenness, you see the hurt in the world. Next, three, the one who had mercy. The obvious take home that Jesus gives. It's not about who is my neighbor. It's about being a neighbor. Loving your neighbor. That's the answer. And it's not overcomplicated. Like, who, who, what do we do? What do we do? Where's our, where do we draw the lines of what we do? Just be a neighbor. You know what to do. You already know what to do. Go and do likewise. Jesus says, go and do likewise. The problem, here's where I want to do a little bit more teaching here. Go and do likewise. The problem is actually this part here. Likewise, going, doing it. We know what to do. We know the story. We've heard this many times. But do we do it? The problem is doing it. Why? A few reasons here that I came up with just randomly. Maybe I've had these thoughts. When we see people in need, oftentimes we don't go and get involved because why? It's messy. Super messy and very costly. I, when uh, Pastor Chris first came uh, to our church, he and I were just chatting. I'm like, man, we got to get you at our church. And so like, okay. He's like, yeah, let's do a Bible study. I'm like, I have the perfect group to do a Bible study with. And so I got Gabe, Will, and Chris. <laughs> yeah, it was Gabe. It was all the way back when Gabe was still here, right? So um, Gabe, Will, Chris, and I, we served someone else there. John Shen, yeah. John Shen was there, Chris and I. We were there, we were in downtown Sunnydale. I was like, okay, cool, we'll just study God's word in like a coffee shop. And we were like just starting our Bible study. Um, and then we get interrupted. We get uh, interrupted by a boy and his mom. The boy and his mom just saying, are, are you guys studying the Bible? Uh, and then they start sharing about what their needs are. And obviously we're like, trying to get into the word, right? So what do we do? Like, oh, no, no time. No, we're, we're starting. No, what? So we follow Pastor Chris's lead, and we go out, and we talk with him, we pray with him, we exchange phone numbers. And over time, that led to some encounters where we got to minister to them a little bit more. But what happened? It became messy very quickly and costly as well. Um, it, I, won't, I won't go into too much detail, but actually Chris and I actually went to a, a person um, who is more uh, in the prison ministries here in the South Bay. And we were talking about what to do. And it became super messy and super costly for us very quickly to continue this thing. And Chris and I, we, we reflected on this whole encounter and we're like, yeah, <laughs> some lessons learned here. And so even trying to do the right thing, it led to a cost on us. It led to a mess on us. And I think back to that oftentimes thinking, what would I have done differently? 
maybe one or two things, but I still would have said yes to engage. That wouldn't have changed. But sometimes there, there needs to be lessons learned as well. And I think this is a part of it, why we can't always go and do likewise. Sometimes it's just too messy and costly. We have too many experiences where we try to help and it just blows up in our face. We try to do something and it blows up into our face. And, uh, and over time, you're like, oh, I just, I'm too old for this. I don't have time for this. Speaking of the next excuse we give, right? We don't have the time. We see someone hurting, but we're driving down the street and it's a green light and we just have to go. We have an appointment to make. We have groceries to buy. We have kids to pick up. We have to get to our meeting. Whatever it is, we don't have the time. And it's a true thing. It really is. Uh, scientists have studied this. Um, there are some social psychologists. Have you guys heard of the Good Samaritan study? Yeah, some of you might have. I'll, I'll let me teach you a little bit. In 1973, a couple of psychologists in, uh, wanted to figure out why people do good things. What, what makes people want to do good things, to help someone in need? And so they thought, let's go to a place where hopefully we can find people that want to help people. So they went to a seminary. <laughs> they went to a Bible school, Princeton Theological Seminary to be exact. Um, so they set up this whole experiment on these kind of witless seminary students. I feel so bad for them. But <laughs> what they did was they got the seminary students to come and fill out a bunch of surveys about wanting to do the right thing. Like, what makes you want to do the right thing? And then at the end, the surveyors told the seminary students, the participants in the study, they needed to go and prepare a sermon about the Good Samaritan. And so they're primed already. Why do you do good things? Oh, we need you to teach this parable, the Good Samaritan. And then they're like, okay, this is part of the thing. And then they were told to go walk out of the building to another nearby campus building to meet up with another member of the team to give their message. And then um, this is where the experiment comes in. By random chance, uh, they were determined to be in one of three conditions. Either these students were told that they had plenty of time, they had a lot of time to make it to that next building to give their message, or B, they were on time, but if they don't leave now, they're going to be late. Or C, they're running out of time. They're very late, and they need to run and, and really hustle to get to the next place. And so it's not just that. After all of those things, um, the participants uh, found a fallen student, a fallen stranger in a narrow passageway on the way to the next building. So there's a so they they rigged it so that they were either you know plenty of time on time or had no time at all. And then on the way to give their message about the Good Samaritan, they found a person lying on the ground in need. But it was in such a place where. Uh, such a narrow passageway that you had to step over the person if you wanted to get to the place on time. So that was the whole experiment there, um, which I thought was really cruel. <laughs> but what did they find? They found less than half of those students actually went to help the person they had to step over to get the message on the Good Samaritan, which is so sad. It's really sad. And what mattered more 
then if this person uh, surveyed that they really want, they really wanted to help people, that's why they were in seminary. What mattered more than those answers was the fact if they had a time constraint, if they were in a rush, almost none of them helped to stop that person. But if they had some time, then a little over half of them went to help that person out. So what we see here is like, oh wow, maybe it doesn't matter if you're a Levite, a priest, a seminary student, you know what to do. Maybe sometimes time is an issue. Sometimes we're too busy to be a good Samaritan. We don't have the time. It's too messy, it's too costly, this will take too much from us. And you know, I love sharing this study because it was hilarious to me learning about it. Um, and whenever I have to preach the Good Samaritan, I try to incorporate this into the message as well. Um, but I think for us today, that, you know, even thinking about being too busy, how many of us are busy? We are busy, 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 yeah. Alan, of course, new dad, working. <laughs> I understand, you're busy. I, we are, have no time for anything, barely have time. I, I remember thinking about um, our college days versus our young adult days versus our married days versus our now young parenting days. We see our friends a little bit less and less and less frequently. It's kind of sad. We get busier and busier. Kids' schedules fill up. Responsibilities plan. We're too, too busy. Sometimes we don't have time to be the good Samaritan. Sometimes we don't have time to love our neighbors. We have, no, we have no time for anyone else. So maybe today, this could be an application for, for some of you. Make some time. Talk to some people that you don't normally talk to. Maybe let some things go. Slow down a little bit. Maybe see what God wants to do through you. If you give him the time. This is so revealing, right? When it comes down to it, we have a lot of excuses of why we don't live like the Good Samaritan. But I think time, it's messy, it's dangerous. Those are, those are legitimate. But I think when it comes down to it, we actually just lack love, we lack the compassion within us. I think that, that could be the case for me. I see people in need, sometimes I just say, ah, I can't do this. When I was in my 20s, yes, here, I'll buy you a meal. Here, let's go talk, let's go pray. But now my kids are screaming in the car. I just don't have enough compassion left. I'm so tired, I was up all night. No compassion left, no more love left. I think we don't want to admit this, right? We're Christians. We go to church. We serve in church. We preach the word. We study the word. Why do we do? Why do we lack compassion? Why do we lack love? We don't want to admit this to ourselves. And even if we do admit this to ourselves, say, I don't have the love. I don't have the compassion. You know what the answer is? It's not to try harder. It's not to just try to love more people it's not to do it by yourself. As outlined in the rest of the New Testament, think of everything that happens after the resurrection, Pentecost, all the formation of the early church. We see ordinary people's lives transformed by the Spirit of God in them. It's the Spirit of God that produces the fruit of the Spirit. First being what? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All of that is not 
something that we work out of our own strength. It is what God in His Spirit brings out. He transforms us to be more like His Son. The Spirit produces this fruit in us. When we have a lack, that is where God's Spirit will supply it. So let's be honest about where we lack. God, we lack the love. God, we lack the compassion. God, we lack the time. God, we lack the resources. God, we lack the vision. The Spirit of God produces that fruit in us. Yes, so we, we lack, sometimes we lack love. Let's be honest. Sometimes we do. But the good news is that God is not done with you. God's not done with you. He's still working in you. As you surrender to Him and His Spirit, you will grow in this love. We lack the strength and the resources and all of these other things to, to help people in need. You know what? We're not the only church out there. God's using all churches, all organizations to answer and address these needs. See, when Jesus says go and do likewise, we see it from, from Jesus to the expert in the law, right? And we internalize that to ourselves, like, right, I have to be this good Samaritan by myself, on my own, this lone wolf to do everything, to pick up people, carry them on my back, band I have to carry bandages with me everywhere I go, be ready, right? But I think what we see, you know, that's probably true for that guy, or he probably thought that. But we, what we see after the Gospel of Luke is the book of Acts. And that's the formation of the church. So it's not just one good Samaritan doing their best to try to handle everything. No. What we see is God builds a church with this ethos to go and help, to go and give sacrificially. The people of the cross, the resurrection, they give of themselves to love their neighbors. It's not just a solo mission that we're on together, and I praise God for that. That we are a church together, collectively, with this value to love our neighbors. And we're not the only church out there that loves their neighbors. So we are covering more ground this way. We are caring for more people this way. It's not just on you, but it is dependent on all of us. God wants to use us to love our neighbors. He wants us to be a church, a family, willing to give of ourselves to each other and to our neighbors. Um, I'll share one last thing. Yesterday we were at an adult birthday party, which was fun. Um, I got to talk to some people that I didn't, I'm, for the first time, I never met them before. Um, one of them was a, a uh, community group leader at a church in Oakland. And really, really awesome family. Um, and I was asking them, we were asking, you know, what's your church like? What's your church like? And um, so we got to the point in the conversation where I brought up current events. Um, he was sharing how some people joined their church because they disagreed with another church, and so they left that church to go to their church. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What did you do about this thing? What I mean, and then I asked a, a very specific question. I don't know why I asked this question. I asked, did your church address the Dobbs case, the road overturning of Roe v. Wade? And because this church is in downtown Oakland, it's a very urban church, very diverse. I figured, you know, maybe they did. Um, he said they didn't. The church didn't do anything, but what happened uh, was perhaps even more God-ordained. See that this family, they have a, a daughter who has special needs, a daughter with special needs, uh, and they were told, you know, during the pregnancy, 
that this daughter would be special needs. And the doctors were trying to give them the option to abort. But they went ahead and had the baby. And they raised her and it's a huge blessing to their lives. On the same week that the Roe v. Wade decision was overturned, um, that daughter was baptized. <laughs> <Don't cry. laughs> and so, instead of like, Instead of saying, like, this is what we believe, this is what we want to do, they baptize the girls of Jesus. I want to go to church like that. Thank goodness for adult birthday parties. <laughs> That's power. Powerful, this story, powerful and believe. Sounds like the worship team back up here. Sorry, I'm so emotional. This matters. It really matters. So, so very, uh, very much lack 
the intention to follow through. And when you open doors, when you ask us to take a risk, when you ask us to go against the grain, God, we repent. We repent of our fear. Fill us with your spirit now, Jesus' name.